What do you call that noise? What do you call that noise? My parents were very open as far as raising me. I was pretty self-aware that religion was a pretty heavy topic and anything that touched on God or anything like that, even at eight, I was aware of. So I found it kind of, I don't know, for an eight-year-old to be singing about the price of beer, you know, I was like, you know, oh, I'm kind of an adult right now. So I thought it was a pretty cool topic for a kid to be singing about. And I could actually even relate to the concept of if everything is so crazy, how can there be something that's supposed to be like making sure everything's not, you know? So as a kid, I could kind of wrap my brain around what they were trying to poke at, even at eight. What do you call that noise? That was Jasmine Viette recalling what it was like to be the child singer on Dear God. And you can hear the rest of that interview by scrolling back to the June 2022 episode of What Do You Call That Noise? The XTC podcast. This time, though, we are returning to the subject of religion in the music of XTC in the company of a Christian, a humanist and a Buddhist. My name is Mark Fisher, and I'm very pleased to welcome you back to the podcast. We'll get to the contentious stuff in a minute, but first, it's our new regular feature in which you, the listeners, entertain us with your XTC-inspired songs. In January, we heard from John Bicknell, whose song Scissor Girl records Scissor Man, and My Bird performs Love on a Farm Boy's Wages and others. Watch out, here she comes, yeah, it's a scissor girl. Watch out. Last month, Warren Butson's Clockwatching, performed by Helter Skelter, took influence from day in, day out, as well as the whole English settlement sound. This time, it's the turn of Christopher Underwood, who is here to introduce Holly Go Lightly. What do you call that noise? Hello, Mark, and all the lovely XTC fans out there. I'm Chris from Denmark, and I remember seeing XTC perform The Meeting Place on the Tube many moons ago. I bought Skylarkin, and I've been a fan ever since. This little ditty was written messing around with the chords to the disappointed and trying to write something half as good. I found a hook that sounded like XTC for the chorus, and Holly's a good old XTC name, so I used that. I wanted an XTC-style middle eight, so I started with some Swindonian-accented girls and pearls. Oh, sorry about the accent there. And worked backwards. Our group, five guys named Lars, who were like a Danish mixture of Boney M and Slipknot, recorded it, and it sounded nothing like XTC, so I infused it at home with some XTC-backing oohs and ahs. I love an XTC ooh and an XTC ah. And I also did a poor impression of Colin Moulding on bass, and it still sounds nothing like XTC, unfortunately. In my mind's eye, I can hear Andy Partridge singing it, which would be a hell of an improvement, because I sound like an asthmatic chicken. But I hope you all like it, and if you do, join us on SoundCloud or Bandcamp. Anyway, enough of this twaddle. Thanks, Mark, for the great work you're doing. Play the song!
something inspired by XTC in some way, I'd love to hear from you. Your music doesn't necessarily have to sound like XTC, although it could do, but perhaps it has some lyrical, thematic, rhythmic or melodic connection. If you've got something that fits the bill, please get in touch with me at mark at xtclimelight.com. This is my monthly shout out to the very wonderful supporters on Patreon whose donations keep the XTC podcast running. It'd be great if you would like to join them. So just go to patreon.com forward slash Mark Fisher and decide whether you'd like to be a pink thing, a humble daisy or a knight in shining karma. And if it's the latter, I'll read out your name at the end of each episode. And if you have an appetite for even more XTC, remember you can buy your copy of What Do You Call That Noise? An XTC Discovery book at xtclimelight.com. What do you call that noise? So, to the vexed topic of religion. By the end of this episode, we want to bring peace to the world by bringing the great belief systems together over the songs of XTC. I suppose I should start by outing myself as an atheist, but as the old Belfast joke goes, yes, but am I a Catholic atheist or a Protestant atheist? To which the answer is, I'm a Catholic atheist, having been brought up going to church pretty much until adulthood. I still believe in the one true XTC, however. Normally, I would at this stage, I would do the introductions for our guests, but this time I'd like them to introduce themselves, lest I unfairly label them with beliefs they don't share. So let's give a welcome back, actually, to David White. The questions I'm going to give to you are, who are you? Uh, where are you? And in a nutshell, what do you believe? Where did you come from? <laughs> so you've got, about, you've, as, as we said in the um, preparations of this program, you've got either one hour or, or two thousand years to get this answer correct. <laughs> oh, very good. Yes, yeah, uh, yeah. Hi, everyone. David White. I live, as you maybe know, across town from Mark in Edinburgh, Scotland. And for the past thirty years, roughly, I've been a Christian. I was brought up in Protestant faith, but it didn't really mean a great deal. But in 1993, I had what you might call a conversion. I certainly made a, a solemn commitment. And I wouldn't call myself religious in as far as, although the church occupies quite a bit of my life in terms of going from day to day, and obviously that's where I worship, nonetheless, I see Christianity really as your relationship with God. And in particular, with a Christian, your relationship with Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth. 
Very good. That's a lovely, succinct summary. I'm just trying to think which other Jesuses we might be thinking of well, apart from Jesus of Nazareth. It's it's a popular name in Spain and of course, yeah. Spanish-speaking yeah. countries. Yeah, Right. Um, also, Thank you for that, David. Um, also back, very welcome to the podcast, is Belinda Blanchard. Belinda, why do you think I brought you here today? When you introduce things as being about religion, I could say, oh, okay, then I have nothing to offer because... I don't believe in a God. I don't follow a faith. I went to a religious school, a Church of England school, and none of it made sense to me. We would do science classes and they'd say, OK, do this experiment. Yes, see, it's true. It happened in front of you. Now experiment again, make sure we get the same result. And then the next lesson was religious indoctrination. And I'd go, but Where's the evidence? We were just told we had to test everything. So that made no sense to me. I was very sick as a kid and I just thought, no, this this doesn't make sense. So that's being an atheist. A humanist is almost like saying I'm a conscientious atheist. I don't just want to be an atheist in the, I mean, uh, uh, Hitler was an atheist, so, you know, not the best advert. And uh, a lot of people can say they're atheists just because they don't believe in a God. Humanists feel, well, actually, we've only got ourselves, we've only got each other. Let's actively work to make the world a better place. So I'm sort of a lazy humanist, but I'm a member of the Humanists UK, which I think means that I'm a capital H humanist because <laughs> I'm a member. I don't speak on behalf of any other humanist we're all there's no guidebook for us there's no manual we speak to how we interpret being a humanist so everything i say can easily offend people without even realizing doing it so sorry about that but that's how i feel about it oh and yes i'm i'm i was the the woman up the tree and dear god i had the opportunity to, to read the song sheet because i hadn't heard before then and um, I thought, yeah, this makes sense to me. This is brilliant. He's questioning directly at a God he has pre- previously said he, he doesn't believe in, which made follow XTC, actually, Church of Women. Huh. So there we are. <laughs> Thank you, Belinda. That was another great summary. Thank you very much for that. And great to have you back on again. And a newcomer to the programme, but no less welcome. And a man of two names, at least, sometimes known as Alan Ashley, but he also goes by the name of Ash Nyanagaba. So hello, Ash. Welcome to the programme. Hello. Thank you for inviting me. Who are you? Why are you? And why did I bring you here? Well, there's a, a very small intersection in the Venn diagram of ordained Buddhists and XTC fans. And I'm in that little, little tiny wedge in the middle there. <laughs> so yeah, my name's in various contexts. I'm known as Alan Ashley. Most people call me Ash. And I'm also called Nyanagaba. That's the name I was given when I was ordained into the Tri Ratna Buddhist order. Although at that time it was called the Western Buddhist order. I've been a, a what I would describe as a practicing Buddhist for about 30 years now. And becoming a Buddhist was an enormous surprise in me. I had no interest in religious matters. And for a chunk of that time, maybe 13 years or so, I was I was a minister of religion. I was a professional Buddhist. It's what I did. I, I led retreats. I did a lot of teaching. I was a kind of Buddhist vicar. And whenever I had to put, you know, on my occupation, I would have to put minister of religion. And I thought, how did that happen? I was going to be a rock star. <laughs> Something went really wrong there. Nowadays, although I still practice as a Buddhist, it's not, I don't, I don't do very much teaching. 
I still go on retreats and I meditate every day and try to be ethical. Maybe more about Buddhism will emerge as, as we go on. It's also perhaps worth mentioning, because the only other time I've been in a discussion like this was on Radio 2, the, the day after John Peel's death was announced. So that was quite strange being in Broadcasting House that day, on a disc, which was when the Second Gulf War was on. And I was on a programme about discussing religion and war, and Archbishop Desmond Tutu stood us up. Oh, is it, would this be Jeremy Vine? It would be Jeremy Vine. That's right. And he, Jeremy, struggled with the idea that Buddhism was an atheistic religion. I think I, I came to find out sometime later that he's a born again Christian. So it can be a sticking point for some people. But yeah, so I'm afraid you're outnumbered by the atheists. <laughs> Fascinating. And 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 I'm, I'm intrigued now. Is it coincidence that you were? It was the day after John Peel, or were you talking about John it, Peel? It wasn't. It was. It just happened. Yes, it was a coincidence. Uh, right, right. Yeah. I, yeah. But it was, yeah, there was definitely a very somber mood in Broadcasting House that day. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I should just say, I was rubbish on that radio show. I told all of my friends <laughs> I was going to be on it and wanted everybody to tune in, and then I was pants. So um, I've, I've <laughs> learned from that lesson and hardly told anybody I'm doing this. Well, you, you, you're already redeeming yourself, so you're, you're fine there. I, I, th- I was just thinking, it's interesting, this is entirely coincidence, but it seems to us, to me, that all of us, from what we've just all said, we all started off on one track and ended up on another, you know, mm. Ash becoming a Buddhist, Belinda becoming a humanist, David becoming um, uh, more religious than, than you were, yes. and, and me, I suppose, becoming an atheist. So that's, um, all of us have gone through that transition, and I suppose that can also be helpful when you're trying to see another side of the argument is you think, well, I used to have, <laughs> I used to be part of that other side of, of the argument. Um, let's talk about Dear God, because we can't avoid it. It, it stands l- large, probably larger than, than Jumping in Gamora, but the same motivation. Maybe it would be as provocative as I could be to start with David. Is it difficult for you to reconcile the message of Dear God, or, can you, or do you see a different um, interpretation to it? I find this uh, paradox at the centre of the song difficult to get over when you are addressing something you don't believe in. However, Andy has talked about this. It's included in his book with Todd Bernhardt's Complicated Game, where he does say, well, the paradox is part of the song. He, uh, he, he ac- accepts that he's, he's addressing something he doesn't believe in. I find that difficult to accept myself as a listener. It's not uncommon at all to complain to God, complain bitterly to God. The other day I started reading um, the book of Job, who uh, underwent all sorts of awful uh, misfortunes, but never gave up on God. And uh, there are bound to be times in our lives when we feel that God seems to have it in for us. And uh, Job's example is an interesting one that although he complained and complained because he was really awfully afflicted. Nonetheless, he he, uh, he never said that uh, God was to blame. And I have quite often seen people, or occasionally, you know, talking on Twitter, who regard dear God um, as more a sort of crisis of faith and and a sort of addressing of religious questions within a Christian frame of mind rather than an actual what the song literally is about is is that God doesn't exist. Well, it's interesting that he, uh, Andy, there is actually addressing God. He's not saying, I don't believe in it. I don't believe in him or her, or I don't believe in the idea. He's saying, I don't believe in you. I think that's an interesting one. He's, He's shouting right to the top there. I suppose Christians... We reconcile the, the 
the fact that the world is so you know awful and we've just been reminded of that in the earthquake in in turkey and uh, um what's happening in ukraine and so on that the world is is truly broken but the christian reconciliation of that is that it, the world is broken by human sin which you will see or you don't need to go far maybe page two of your your bible uh, you don't need to go far into genesis to see what happens there with uh, adam and eve and that's although that's i think an illustrative story there are some people who who take it literally nonetheless i see that as an illustration of the root cause of the brokenness of the world. I don't want to get this too theological because it's, it's, it's about XTC, not about uh, theology, but uh, nonetheless, uh, Andy, presumably someone there who's uh, crying out in the middle of a broken world, and he's not the only one. And it's, it's only natural to think of blaming God when um, you're viewing the, the kind of affliction that the world is enduring. But that is not how God designed it. That's the, and He is on our side. That's the, the central message of Easter, which we might come to later. Oh, Easter! Well, yeah. Um, and so you don't skip over, dear God, when you're playing skylarking, you know, in outrage. Oh no, no, no! no. I, I don't see it as uh, you know, well, he's not he's not directing it at me. So, but uh, no, I, I don't see it as offensive. I, I think, yeah, if, if you're someone who believes in God, then to hear somebody saying, "I don't believe in you," that there, there is a, a that sort of tang there that get, that, that uh, could get to you, but uh, I don't feel too much discomfort about it. Mm. That kind of thing doesn't shake faith, in my experience. Belinda, I'm just thinking that different stories have been told about why Dear God wasn't on the original version of Skylocking, but uh, one of the versions of the story is that Andy felt that he hadn't covered the whole massive subject of religion well enough or you know is it even possible to do it in a three minute pop song and he felt that there was so much more to be said i i would sort of defend him and say he manages to cover quite a lot of ground in that thing but do do you think belinda that it's it's an adequate um summary in in as much as you can do in a three minute pop song i do but you know there's there's so much to be said about this and i do find this really really difficult because first of all he says he made us God, not Andy Partridge. Apparently God made us in his image. So what are we saying here? We're screwing up the world. It probably won't survive another 200 years, if that. So did he make us to screw up the world? There's just so much I don't understand. Plus, of course, the fact that the Bible was written apparently three or 400 years after the apparent facts by people, by men who used it for purposes of controlling their countries. Back to dear God, I think he did cover it because he wanted to write, you know, he was writing a pop song. I think had he, and he may have thought about this, who knows, I think he could have covered a whole album on his thoughts about religion had he wanted to. He could have developed it and confirmed his status as persona non gratis in the south of the USA, completely forever. I do think that Dear God stands up on its own as it is, though. I think it's brilliant. And I also have to say that the direction and ideas for the video were just spot on. I thought it was such a good idea to have the tree of life and the nuclear family, well, you know, as it was then known as, but I'm sure he wanted to say more and maybe he didn't commercially 
want to upset anyone else after all he wanted to make his money for music in the states to answer the question yes i think it sums it up beautifully ash you just described buddhism as an atheist religion i think is what you, the phrase that you used as where does dear god fit in in your worldview well this, the sense i make of it is is of somebody trying to address the problem of suffering in the world so it's about kind of well, where does suffering come from how can i make sense of suffering how can i adequately respond to it there are problems with doing that in a in a it gets complicated in a monotheistic tradition if that's seen in a in a very sort of blunt way where you have a creator god then therefore they're responsible for everything so uh, that creates some problems so he's trying i see him as trying to square that circle how how do you make sense of suffering it's it's an issue in the world and has been and it and it is you know through the through the ages and it's, still it's is the, yeah. it's the basic root issue in buddhism you know it's the, i teach I, you know the buddhism used to, the buddhists say and people mock this because he used to say i teach one thing only and this proves he was rubbish at maths i teach suffering and its end i suppose he, yeah it seems to me that as somebody like me, as you were saying, we come in from different. I'm I'm ethnically Christian. I've been brought up in a in a in a country which legal system of which is based upon Christian background and just developed over over you know quite a long period. And so, how do we deal with suffering? Who, how do we deal with evil? Those sorts of things are problems that we all have to address. And this is you know a contribution to that conversation rather than a definitive statement about it. Mm-hmm. That's interesting, and it's also reminded me that uh, I'd started off by describing myself as an atheist, but I'm an atheist, as you just described it, who is ethnically Christian, whose values and whose thoughts have been shaped by that, I suppose, by that sort of New Testament sort of Christianity, be nice to each other, turn the other cheek, get along with each other. It's There are pretty good messages that, you know, one reason the Bible has done very well over the years is because there's quite a few good thoughts in in there that are, that are, that are valuable to people. They're also socialist ideals. Yeah. And obvious ideals. You can't, you know, we all come out of the womb with no faith and it's bestowed upon us by parents or other means. You know, it's something that we reject or we are indoctrinated by or we can't be asked to get away from it. Except the poor Catholics, once a Catholic, always a Catholic. But everyone has the opportunity, the freedom and the education maybe to realise that there are other ways of thinking about things. To be kind to everyone. If you're kind to someone, chances are they might be kind to you. That's obvious, you know. Don't need to be taught that. Doesn't have to. Don't have to read a manual to know that. Although it's an, you're, what you're saying is is if you think about it in terms of XDC, there's a sort of underlying spirit, if you like, of XDC, which which is making that same statement that you you just made. You know, uh, there is in fact in Garden of Earthly Delights, but don't hurt nobody unless, unless of course they ask, they ask you. you. That's that that um, sentiment. I think lies through mm-hmm. their the loving is <laughs> is another example. Yeah. It is, like, it is kind-hearted music. <laughs> Let's talk about the, the loving then. Well, I suppose that the, the deliberate cultivation of emotional positivity of love is a key part of Buddhist practice. You know, you, you want, however little you know about Buddhism, you probably come across the whole sort of, the whole Dalai Lama sort of chortling away, from, oh, wisdom, compassion, you know, that those two sides of kind of, and the two main sort of, strategies in a way and the thing that underlies buddhist ethics are paying attention noticing 
which is now sort of promulgated through culture in terms of mindfulness, but not just as a sort of harsh, uncaring thing. You know, you, it's also necessary for you to intentionally cultivate positivity, kindness, positive emotion, out of which there's a natural response when you're well-resourced psychologically, you know, when you're in a good state, then you naturally respond to the suffering of the world with an open-hearted way, you know. And when you're less well-resourced, you tend to close down and withdraw and kind of it's over and get overwhelmed or get freaked out, you know, those sorts of things. So it, it's always seemed to me that the, the loving is, is, is a song about the deliberate practice of loving-kindness, which, you know, is a thing I've been trying to do for 30 years. I like the angle of it. There's a sort of evangelistic zeal, isn't there, to the loving? It's uh, advertised in all the papers. <laughs> it's you know, it's 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 so lovely and open, and that that I mean, the melody itself is is you know impeccable. That sort of zeal for uh, getting everyone on board the love train, that sort of thing, uh, is is wonderful, and it. it I'm not what you would call a happy, clappy person. I go to the Church of Scotland across the road from us, and uh, it's a fairly traditional style of worship. Uh, I've been to what you might call happy, clappy meetings, and uh, people just go crazy. It's I, and I, I don't like hysteria, <laughs> but but I can certainly get on board with that that fantastic message. The one thing I would say about this is of of the biblical quote that God is love. Uh, you might know it as a as a hymn. The idea of when you were talking about love, you are talking about the, the God at the centre of it and as the author of it because he is it. I find a very powerful image, although what it kind of looks like, I don't know, but I find that a very compelling idea. I, I, I like that. I think Ash made the observation that I think it's true of a lot of the band's work, which is that it's there's almost like no filter. So it's just very upfront. This is what they think. They say what they think. They're unashamed about it. And if you if you think that love is a good thing, say that love is a good thing. I think that sort of really locked mm. into that that song. I hadn't really thought about it like that, but it's, I, who, yeah, what other group would, <laughs> would have sung a song so kind of um, forthright? Well, I think the Beatles might have. All you need is love. They did get there first, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Although, to be fair, I, th I think the loving is a bit more sophisticated than all you leave in love, which is, which is a bit naive. I would say, in that it needs breaking down. You know, there is there is no love in the abstract. Mm -hmm. There's only, you know, people acting kindly. There's only people wishing each other well and supporting each other. It kind of, it needs to find expression rather than just be a, a way you feel. So however, however nice you feel about things, if you still kick the cat, then that's, that's you know, you're not, you're not <laughs> acting it out. And so I think there's sort of the unpacking of the loving into these are all in all of these different contexts, in all of these different ways. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's a, so it's a, a much more fuller expression than all you need is love, which is just a sort of, wouldn't it be nice if it were all lovely? Which, which it would. <laughs> it would be great. Yes. And nice uh, things are nice. Nice <laughs> things are nice. Yeah. Bad things are horrid. Yeah. I'm thinking now that there is the line, even all the, you know, it's a long list of all the things that you should love, including even those we think you think we hate, you know, that's, yeah, if yeah. that's not oh, a Christian yes. message, that's a, that's a turn your other yes. cheek message if ever there was one, yes. isn't that? Thumbs up <laughs> yeah. here, there. And, yeah. a, and, a, and a key practice in Buddhism as well. Is that right? Yeah. Your enemy yeah. is your greatest teacher mm -hmm. is a phrase you'll hear a lot, so particularly in the Tibetan traditions. You don't have to be taught anything just because it's got a religious background to it. You don't need 
you know, the carrot to go to heaven or the, the, the stick for hell. You know, a, a, an atheist, a humanist will just know on evidence that it's best, it's nicest, it's the right thing to do to love everyone. But I would argue that we do all feel that in common, that we, we don't need the manual to tell us these obvious things. And I think that's also what Andy Partridge is, is saying there, that, you know, just get on with it and love everyone because it's the best thing to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's when I was religious as a, as a teenager, I can remember thinking, oh, well, if you weren't religious, it would be chaos, you know, what would stop everybody from, yeah. you know, murdering each other because there'd been, uh, you know, that sort of existential yeah. uh, fear, which... Uh, clearly isn't the case. People can be decent to each other without having a, a philosophy behind being decent to each other. It's social preservation. Or a reason. Yeah, yeah. I'm only doing this because I want to get to heaven. What? <laughs> this is a deal. <laughs> the use of the word religion, I'll, I'll just pipe in here that, uh, of course, Jesus was scathing about organised religion. <laughs> and it was the very thing that got rid of him or seemingly got rid of him. Yes. Mm -hmm. There's also the case that just like if you want to do a hard thing and being kind all the time is hard, it's good to be doing it with some other people who are encouraging you and supporting you to do that. But they don't have to be religious either. Whatever you call that, no, or, how, or however you do it, mm. um, it's it's useful to have support in that practice. Um, so it's quite hard to do any of these things on our own, isn't it? Yeah, and Belinda mentioned socialism before, and uh, you know another way to do it is through a trade union or through Absolutely. through a, yeah. a political movement or you know some uh, affiliation or or society or XDC fan club. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah, yeah, and, and and you and you saw that, and you saw that was one of the, the the few very good things to come out of the COVID, wasn't it? Was the mm -hmm. lockdowns, the sort of development of community. I was living in London at the time, and. Before, as in many places in London, I didn't really know anybody on my street before COVID. And by the end of, you know, lockdown, we kind of knew, we all knew each other and there was a lot of mutual care and things like that. So you kind of, it's useful sometimes to have a boundary set on you to support you and fo focus you. We could go in a million different directions now, but it does, I mean, the reason for doing this podcast in the first place is that for a band who avowedly and from quite early on would make anti god type comments uh there is a lot of spirituality the sense of paganism it, it crops up in many songs and also a sense of the life and death and and and, and the cycle of of life it just occurred to me earlier that andy partridge is good on birth so he'll do pink thing and easter theater colin molding has gone good on death so he'll do scatter me and dying <laughs> and and sacrificial bonfire so that you know they sort of man marry with each other very well there. They match each other very well there. Anybody can shout out, but I'm wondering whether David's most recent suggestion of the man who sailed around his soul is about as philosophical and and uh, therefore perhaps spiritual as you might get. Do you want to start on that one, David? Yeah, I was uh, looking at the lyrics today and I can't quite work out what happens to the man who sailed around his soul. He, uh, he experiences disappointment, um, certainly sort of uh, at least halfway through, but he finds out that life is more than that. Flesh, blood and, blood and bone is everything. That was a disappointment, a bag to put his souvenirs in. I, I think he seems to go through some kind of catharsis or, or other, uh, but I, I'm not quite clear what it is. And maybe uh, you guys may be more familiar with the song than me. There is one line that really strikes me, and that is that it says, uh, the jellyfish sting. 
and I've met a man who got stung by a jellyfish uh, off the coast of Mauritius. It was a box jellyfish, and it may have been more than one box jellyfish. They are lethal. He uh, went swimming one night and strayed out with the reef. He managed to get back to shore and just about managed to get himself to hospital with the aid of, he managed to summon help eventually, by which time he was close to death. And uh, he seemed to have experienced, not a near-death experience, but a death experience for 15, 20 minutes. His name's Ian McCormack. You can read his testimony. He he actually wrote a book called uh, Glimpses of Eternity, or A Glimpse of Eternity, sorry. He was instrumental, actually, in my conversion. What he experienced during his brief death, if you can call it with that, was that he he claims to have met Jesus during that time. Why Jesus? Why not somebody else? I find that interesting. Guess who? <laughs> he also briefly experienced a period of a, a quite chilling nothingness, that which I find interesting as well. Without he he maybe was experiencing a time without God's provision of length, breadth, time, all the physical universe that we that we know, um, and that I, f- I find that quite chilling as well. But anyway, he was plucked out of that by um, through a a conversation he had with Jesus, and he was allowed the chance to go back to life again. Now, he could have been delirious, I don't know. But anyway, ever since then, and he he returned to life. He's I think he's in his 60s now, still alive. He um, uh, has been a very strong evangelist for Jesus. That was quite captivating for me at a time when I wasn't aware that I was sort of searching around for more meaning in my religious mix. But I certainly got a, a, a healthy dose of it with that. And that was certainly instrumental in helping me in my conversion. I, I love how you've, you, <laughs> how you've told that really fascinating anecdote, all from one word in one song about sailing around your soul, that sort of connection to sh- jellyfish. jellyfish. Yes, the jellyfish thing, yeah, yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I have a similar um, uncertainty about, normally with XTC songs, it's very clear what is meant, but I suspect with The Man Who Sailed Around His Soul, it's, it's one of the XTC songs that's, that's out there in terms of being not too sure what it's on about, but in a certain way, I wonder whether... All of XTC's output is sailing around the soul, trying to work out what we're all here for and what we're doing Mm, in in life and questioning and so on. I'm sure everyone who listens to this will know exactly or have some really good theories about what that song represents. For myself, it's, first of all, it's one of my favourite in the top five of their songs. But at the same time, it sounds to me like he's talking about a man who comes from the surface. He comes at the world, at the world from the surface. He doesn't, he doesn't dig deep about and think about things. So he does sit all alone. He, it's just empty skin. He, he hasn't really thought about his life, and he just walks across his heart. He sailed around his soul. He didn't sit and think about what it's all about there's an awful lot of symbolism in there the jellyfish being being one of them great anecdote by the way yes at the end it's talking about well actually the body is there it's all you've got but to my mind I have an issue with it because possibly because I was a very very sick child I I it was never thought I'd, I'd make adulthood that sticks with you 
and the fact that I did was due to possibly luck and certainly NHS. I feel that if you're always thinking that, you know, few I've made it another year, few I've made it another year, you do wonder why, or I did wonder why am I in this body? And the man who sailed around his soul resonates with me because he's talking about someone who's in a body representing a separate thing to the mind that they're coming at from and I just I just find that absolutely fascinating why am I in this body what why am I coming in you from just behind behind my eyes by the way brain scientists have discovered the spot in the brain where you are liable to have a faith or not and those who are more deeply religious than others maybe you too <laughs> it's bigger because <laughs> you believe more and uh, that's kind of been scientifically proven and people who are atheists it's it's quite small that's not a judgment it's a it's the brain surgeons will tell you that's that sort of written matter of fact anyway i just am fascinated about this mind and body connection my body has just let me down in so many ways and I keep bouncing back due to other people's helping me but my mind is so separate there's nothing I can do about what's going on <laughs> and it feels separate it I, I feel that all the time and I think that maybe Andy thought that when he was writing The Man Who Sailed Around His Soul because he talks about being bit sort of mean to people and stuff and it's not how he thought he would be i went to church every sunday but as a child but went to regular state schools so i, I wasn't going to a, a, a catholic school so i had a sort of odd juxtaposition of of experiences but it seemed to me that the advantage of going to church every week was a, a philosophical advantage that i was being encouraged to think about why are we here what are we doing what's the purpose of like you know asking those big questions that it, it's in a probably in a very patronizing way i i sort of felt that um other kids at my school would be um more shallow or you know more trivial as as a result of not asking these questions and i think it's uh i, I still think it's a shame that schools don't more routinely teach philosophy absolutely that, not about religion but you know to teach philosophy to ask those because mm, philosophy yeah. does the same things but i wonder whether yeah. ash whether that 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 chimes with you that philosophical idea of, of this song yes it does and I, I this isn't a track i'm particularly familiar with but but the sense i make of it is is that it's about somebody who's not living the examined life or the unexamined life mm -hmm. you know that thing about the unexamined life is not worth living. And it's kind of like that. So the sense I make of it is somebody who's kind of avoiding that sort of intersection by sailing around their soul. And sort of, so that what they find at the end is what they expected to find, as it were, is that, but through uh, a reluctance to face up to them themselves or to, or to, or to turn their attention inwards. That's the sense I make of yeah. it from sort of as a first pass. Yeah, yeah. He's maybe examining himself for the first time. That's that's the one the what I get from it. That yes, he, he he's uh, this sailing around his soul. He has circumlocuted this this self examination, but he he seems to enter into it in the in the course of the song. Yeah, it's it's not clear to me from the lyrics whether he he's sort of. I, I, to be honest, I think he's probably sort of he's he's trying to have his cake and eat it really because he sort of does and he sort of doesn't. 
is, is the sense I make of it. But um, that's the nature of art, isn't it? You <laughs> take away from it that which you bring to it. Also, the nature of a four-minute pop song, really. You know, it, yeah. How it, dare we uh... not plumb the depths of all human experience <laughs> yeah. and understanding in yeah. three and a half it's... minutes? What a complete fail! But you know how ambitious <laughs> it is to even begin whatever that topic is it, to begin to launch into it in in a pop song. Oh, absolutely, pop song. yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. The Lord's Prayer is a model of economy. I don't know quite how quickly you can recite it, but it uh, can't be more than 30 seconds uh, and yet covers everything. So it's extraordinary. Yeah, so a pop song can do that as well. Uh, but uh, all I'm saying is with Sailed Around His Soul, there will be other ideas coming in about rhyme, about, well, the word soul might, might it originally have been something else, but soul, of course, is, is much more, you know, grabs you. It's encompassing all the rest of it. You, 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 you will bring in other ideas as a songwriter. Um, one of the reasons, well, actually, it's an accidental reason for for bringing Ash along to to this conversation is that animism, apparently, you tell me, is part of the Buddhist tradition. The sense of the pagan and the ancient, not necessarily as a belief system, but as some sort of, I don't know what it is, uh, exists in, in XTC music. And do, does it speak to you, Ash, from, from, from a Buddhist point of view? Well, there's a sense of rooting, isn't there? There's a sort of, you know, sort of literally and metaphorically, there's sort of rooting in the earth of, of England, you know, so it's Wiltshire. I can't drive through, drive into Wiltshire without saying Wiltshire <laughs> in a sort of... <laughs> yeah in my head or probably usually out loud literally as a sort of whenever I see that sign because it's kind of there is such a for me such a closeness between that particular part of the British Isles and mm. the work of XTC uh reflected in their album covers and in their songs and and so this exploration of a, a sort of romantic pastoralism is is a common feature but also as as a transpersonal elements are sort of what you might call, you know, which is just what academics call spiritual. You know, the sort of something that's a bit bigger than we are than than just me me and my my stuff, as it were. So I think that, you know, that that yeah. you could you could run an entire year's worth of podcasts exploring that theme, couldn't you, in, in the songs of XTC? Don't give me ideas. <laughs> <laughs> Particularly in the in the in the latter years, you know, it's it, it's it's uh it's a it's a whole dimension. Yeah, well, and, and it's noticeable. It is notable for the those listening to this podcast that Ash is currently wearing an English settlement T-shirt, and we shouldn't overlook English settlement just as a visual uh, iconographic thing. And also the uh, Mama as and I think those are the two albums that come to my mind as well that that fit into this category. That because we're talking song by song, we might forget to mention English settlement, which. Seems to me a, a a great statement of of what you're talking about rootedness, the pagan landscape, the historical landscape that is is feeds in as much as the city does and the and the modernity does, and that sort of um a, a non bigoted sort of sense of kind of this is my place, it's not sort of Wiltshire uber alles, <laughs> it's it's kind of you know the just is just this is. These are my roots. This is this is the these are the conditions that made me who I am, mm -hmm. and an honouring of that. And in the process of doing that, it goes. They do go back. Where should we go? I'm just trying to go to maybe Green Man, um, mm. and I've already mentioned Sacrificial Bonfire. But the songs where where an older than a Christian tradition 
are evoked. Yeah. Maybe we'll stick with Ash and and talk about animism and and those sort of feelings. So I I could say a little bit about that as somebody who's who's lived in cities and suburbs most of my life and and just in the last 18 months moved to the countryside, not for the first time in my life, but it's kind of it. I'm finding it really interesting. I live, if if anybody knows me and follows my socials at all, um, I post lots of pictures of the field. There's a field about 200 yards from my house, uh, 200 metres from my house, which is just the er uh, field it is it is I, I think of it as the field with a capital t and a capital f because it's there's something just sort of fundamentally southern english british field about it and i drive when i drive my daughter to school the sun is rising to various different degrees through the year when it was frosty it was just extraordinarily beautiful when we had we had very heavy snow here a few months ago um and there's just something about being in nature, which is a very different experience. I don't know, people will be familiar perhaps with it from things like if you've read Neil Gaiman's American Gods or those sorts of things about the sort of, there's a sense of the magical or the mystery that that you feel in the countryside that sort of nourishes you in a certain way that you, you don't, I've just been back up in London today. You don't get that in Canary Wharf. <laughs> And and I think there's a celebration of that. I think the Green Man is part of a celebration of that. And many many other songs by XTC are grass, for example, pops into my head. There's a there's loads of songs, aren't there, about the countryside and and isn't it you know nice things are nice again. But could you accuse? Is here's a provocative question. Could you accuse XTC of being? Uh, romantic and uh, a bit kind of mystical by by evoking these ancient forces such as the green man uh, or that sort of, that sort of wicker man type of feel that you get in some of the songs on mama i i've never lived in that part of the world i've, I've visited the white horse uh, at a, uh, as part of a geography field trip <laughs> <laughs> you you've done the white horse and yeah, uh, and I'm, but I'm very oh, and, and uh, uh, visits to Glastonbury. I'm I'm very aware that, that that part of the world, in particular, does have have a, a, a quite a, a particular, yeah, particularly special sense of place. I no, I, I, I may, maybe the 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 pagan associations. I'm the, a long way from those because it hasn't been part of the parts of England that I've lived in. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, can you accuse XTC of romanticism? Yes, you very can. <laughs> I think it's a bit of a mean thing to tell off somebody who writes pop songs for being romantic. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so of of course, but uh, but uh, but I think you know the the British relationship, you know, romanticism is an absolute key part of the certainly the English relationship with 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 our countryside, uh, and and I think it it's kind of true everywhere as far as I know really. Other than those places in the world where you see the the um, you know there are a limited number of places in the world where the the wilderness is seen as threat, and and there are a number when I was going through doing my homework on our, on our list of things there are a number of songs that I just wrote oh this is romanticized nonsense isn't it, but uh, but but it's also fair enough you know it's kind of you, you don't you can't be mean enough but but yes in the same way the city is romanticized in a great deal of music as well you know I I walk across the rooftops of, you know, yes. You know. mm-hmm. Yes. Are you a Blue Nile fan, by the way, Ash? Just 
I'm not actually, but it just oh, sort of okay. came into my mind as being, you know, the okay. Scottish connection and urban Scotland has has uh, just made just sort of thought of as the counterpoint in a way. So there's there's no shortage in rock and roll of of romanticisation of the city, is there either? Well, no, it's it, the thought is crystallising in my head while we're talking. But in the context of religion and XDC, Andy Partridge, I don't know about Colin Moly, but Andy Partridge is cynical towards organised religion, cynical towards actually organize anything in me as a, as a personality. Me, me too. I hated getting involved in a religion. It was, it was, it was one of the worst things that ever happened. To me. Is that right? Yeah. <laughs> but, but he's accepting and, and Colin Moulding is accepting of a sort of we nebulous. Oh, this might be a spirit in this tree sort of. Uh, yeah. I th- I, but there's also a transition in music, isn't there? In, in that the punk and post-punk period was an urban musical movement. It was, it was, it was very urban, mm-hmm. urban, and the move towards more rural expression. I thought it was suburban. Well, it was, it was, yeah. That's a that's a fair point. But it was, yeah, Bromley, and Dartford. <laughs> but you know, that, there's a, there's a movement from that very urgent, you know, that very sort of early phase, which is definitely a much more sort of urban vibe, isn't it? Or suburban. Yeah. And that move towards a, a more pastoral themes, which which also echoes, echoes ageing, doesn't it? You know, those, those, those sort of excitements and stimulus mm-hmm. is, is a thing that young, particularly young men are very keen on, you know, and, and as, as we get older, then, then we maybe don't need quite so much of that or find it. So, so there's that kind of pro- progress through their songwriting as as a process of maturing musically and as human beings. I would I would posit. There's my theory. It starts off skinny at the beginning, fat in the middle, skinny at the end. <laughs> <laughs> and well, "Love on a Farm Boy's Way" just to take an example is a song that, because of its sort of folk music stylings, could could almost have been written at any point in the past. 300 years it's a it, mm. it without yeah. without evoking the past it uh, in its lyrics it it it's it has a timeless feel in, in that in that sense although uh, love on a farm boy's wages this time is about the practicalities of just getting getting by mm-hmm. similar to earn enough for us i think yeah in that respect yeah um, yeah so it, maybe that's not a romantic one but it is yes it's very much a bucolic one isn't it Pastoral. Yeah, and an understanding that the that the life on the land is not romantic. It's it's tough. Mm, tough. Yeah. Um, David, I'm wondering whether whether you want to move into Easter theatre territory because that's that is is a one I imagine resonates with you. Well, I, I I would invite you maybe to consider Peter Pumpkinhead first before you consider into uh, Easter theatre. Okay, let's do that. Okay. No, I would I would invite you to see them as maybe a piece together. Mm-hmm. This idea struck me just the other day that you probably couldn't get two pieces of music further apart in XTC's Pantheon. Peter Pumpkinhead is a, a fairly basic song. I, I, I shouldn't be saying that, but uh, it, 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 it is a straightforward 4-4 four, four, rock song with guitars, drums and bass. And it has the lyric about a folk hero who meets a grisly end at the hands of uh, those he rather lit a fire under. That story, particularly nailed to a chunk of wood, very much echoes Jesus, suggests it, so it suggests, suggests it in your mind, although the song isn't strictly about uh, Jesus. Sort of somewhere between JFK and Jesus, isn't it? It's a... Yeah. Well, yeah. It, it strikes, it struck me that it very much parallels Robert Heinlein's Stranger in a Strange Land, the sort of hero of that, um, mm-hmm. like Valentine Smith is, is 
has exactly that arc of kind of coming in as a as a sort of messiah figure and then being murdered, you know, killed mm-hmm. by Grout at the end. In XTC years, you move is it seven years forward to Easter Theatre, which is a, just such a completely different piece of music. It's got a, a rather awkward, jerky rhythm. It doesn't seem to have a tonal centre until you get to the chorus. And it's a, it's a fantastic, beautiful piece of work. They're, they're both wonderful, but in completely their own way. They occupy their own realms. Here's the, here's the link I'm trying to put over, is that... Peter Pumpkinhead meets his grisly end. Three days later, in Jesus' case, he appears to his disciples. And it's completely different. It's not what they were expecting, of course. They'd had three terrified days thinking that the Romans are going to come for us. Even though Jesus talked about the way he would come back, no one really understood that. And But all of a sudden, there he was. It was surprising to everyone. It was in a completely different realm. And I love that idea of if you take Peter Pumpkinhead and then wait three days, <laughs> you've got your Easter theatre. Easter theatre is basically, uh, it seems to be about rebirth. It's not about the resurrection by any means. It's um, about maybe resurrection of, of life in, in the way that spring, season cycle, of course, we might get to, that spring is a, a rebirth. but it occupies just a completely different realm. And at that point, Jesus was occupying uh, a different realm, appearing to his uh, disciples. And that's when the church took off shortly after, afterwards when they received the Holy Spirit. So surely it could be looked at the other way around, that, that what Andy Partridge is doing in Easter Theatre is uh, suggesting, perhaps, uh, that the... The, the 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 resurrection story, the Christian resurrection story that you've just described, is actually a later addition to a more ancient sense of the of the changing seasons and a, and a sort of pagan idea yeah. of of, yeah. of of rebirth and so on, which which Christianity has survived. One of the reasons Christianity survived so well is it was very good <laughs> at co-opting existing belief systems totally. and belief back. And, and that this is a case where totally. this is like almost like Easter Theatre is almost like the original <laughs> and Christianity's jumping on the back of it sort of thing. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, Easter makes sense because it's in springtime. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Well, it's it's even yeah. named after, you know, Westerner, isn't it? It's, it's... Mm, that's right, yeah, yeah. Uh, and you know, which ties into the sort of uh, Odin's references, doesn't it? That sort of sure. Norse yeah. pantheon. Yeah, that renew, renewal, rebirth, uh, resurrection. Mm-hmm. And again, one of the things that's become much more evident to me moving out of the city is the passage through the through the seasons. And one of the things I've been struck by just thinking about in the last couple of weeks, actually, is that the, our sort of arbitrary chopping up of the year into four chunks doesn't really make very much sense. Because it's it's a continuum, isn't it? It's not. Of course, it doesn't yeah, really yeah. work very well. He does like to drop in lots of rather sexual, rather delicious sociology yeah. <laughs> in some of <laughs> yes. his songs, doesn't he? Yeah. He really does. You could do a whole podcast on that. Sex, DC, and sex. Yeah, you've inspired me. Will sex, DC. Yeah, sex, DC. Yeah, I mean, there's there's loads of that. I love. Again, the circularity of this, the sexuality of it, the the there's there's a which which is it in itself um, about rebirth and and you know you can't have rebirth without sex. I mean that's that and that seems to be quite 
rich in Andy's writing. Test tubes, anyone? It's about fecundity, <laughs> isn't it? It's about about you know, yeah. you know, the the the, the blossoming book. I, I I remember having a revelation actually walking down a street in Bethnal Green, so uh, where the gutters were filled with blossom from the trees that that, that line the streets, and I sort of suddenly realised, oh, this is why we throw confetti. Ah. This is spring. This is this is you know that Venus arising pregnant from the from the from the sea in Botticelli's very famous painting. It's kind of like spring is pregnant. You th- so it's a fertility ritual, the throwing of confetti. That's That's, kind of, uh, I hadn't thought of that as well, but you're right. Yeah, it it really makes. So, so it's a symbol. It's very potent. It's it's very much evoking those things, isn't it? That sort of you know the the rounded breasts and the sort of gambling lambs and all of that sort of stuff. We were edging into season cycle. Uh, yes, if we if we if we're going on to season cycle, that fantastic lyric, "Who's pushing the pedals on the season cycle?" Oh, isn't it, it brilliant? Yes, yes, and uh, well, as as a Christian, I have an answer for that. Um, <laughs> yes, there that there is. How on earth, Christians would ask, or believers would ask, could any of the physical universe that we experience have come about by chance? Because, of course, time has to be created, dimensions have to be created for these phys- physical proper- uh, things to have any property. And uh, it, to me, it just doesn't make any sense unless you have a designer, uh, a creator. Does that, I, I, I know Belinda will have various comments on that, but Ash, do you have? Um... Well, it sort of begs the question of where is where is the creator, and what's you know you have this sort of story question of what comes before that. How does the creator arise? Yeah, there, there, were, there were a bunch of questions that the Buddha thought were not fruitful to to bother on. One was you know where does the universe come from? I I don't know enough about Buddhism to to to, to ask this question with any authority. But does what is Buddhism's attitude towards this thing that we're talking about the, the cycle of the seasons and the and the and the the life and the rebirth and all of those things? I I'm I'm no expert on on this sort of, on Buddhist cosmology and it's it's deeply rooted in Vedic cosmology as well. You know, it sort of comes out of that sort of cultural context. So it sort of sees the universe in a in, in, as taking place sort of repeatedly over cycles of sort of. What we, what in the seventies we would talk about as big bangs followed eventually by big crunches and then another big bang. Mm-hmm. Um, personally, I don't. But rebirth is a is a model in Buddhism which is not the same as reincarnation, and I don't think it would be fruitful for us to start having a conversation about that. And for what it's worth, I don't believe it anyway. I imagine we're all agreed that the universe is absolutely amazing. It's great. For, yes, it's great. Yeah, yeah, we're in favour of no, um, <laughs> universes are good. Yeah. Um, uh, but yes, uh, fantastic infinity, seeming infinity of of it, and the amazingness of of time as well. That dimension, and well, I remember seeing at school an educational video going under the skin going further and further and further down to cellular level is extraordinary and then zooming out to above the earth and beyond the earth disappears and you're among the stars your planets pass by and so on and you go further and further out um it's quite uh yes mine's... i remember that yeah i think it was a Can- one of those canadian animations that uh, you used to see on Maybe Blue Peter or something. I thought it was an effort, but okay, I'll remember it. I was going to suggest we we moved on to 
from birth and rebirth to death. I was going to do exactly the same. So yeah, you're thinking the same lines as me. And you very cleverly mentioned Scatter Me, that's, which is coming to the TCNI era, but we could also mention dying as well and anything else that you can think of. Can I, can I start, with, start with dying? And I, and I suppose what struck me about dying is that it's, it's a very sad song. It's, it's, uh, there's an element of mourning in it, but there's also a sense of th- th- that line, I don't want to die like you. So I think the question yeah. it, I take from it is kind of like, well, what does it mean to have a good death? Mm-hmm. And that's how I came to scatter me as as the sort of counterpoint to that. It's kind of like this this is one way of thinking about how you might have a good death. So it's kind of like the, the, there's a there's a sort of and I think again there's an age issue, isn't there? Here, as you kind of get older, then your relationship with death death you become more aware of your mortality, and so you you start to find a way of coming into relationship in a way. That that isn't as as kind of naive as fighting against the dying of the light unrelentingly. You know, you should, you start to realise it's going to apply to you. You are inevitably going to die. So, if you, given that's the case, how are you going to do that in a way which doesn't suck? Yeah, and doesn't doesn't suck for you. Doesn't suck for the people who you care about. Doesn't you know makes it as elegant and as uh, honoured as you can. Three pair, three pair. I'm a humanist uh, funeral celebrant. So for people that their loved ones have died, they invite me through a a funeral director or if they had me for their mum, if they liked me, they'll have me back for the dad when they go. I've done this for a long time and I've met so many different types of families and the amount of people where they had not prepared the the person had just gone they knew even if they knew they were dying they'd done nothing to prepare for it they'd done nothing prepare 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 even I'm not just talking wills I'm talking think of what the poor bastards have got to do they'll be bereaved and they've got, got to get rid of all your shit, do you know what I mean? Which is just awful. I love the dying. I love dying song. It's, it, you can see, you can see Irene Hand. For me, it was Irene Handel. Not everyone will know her. Dropping dead in Tesco's. I visualise that song. I can't just read it. I can see it all. That my gran, she did have a multicoloured, she did... Um, she didn't die in the supermarket, but, you know, um, it was pretty close. So it's so well written and the mm. pictures are painted there. Yeah. And it's so many people's experience of their lo- life as they're getting older. And as Colin writes, I'm I'm getting older too, but I don't want to die like you. Um, it's, it's a wake-up call, actually. Um, we are, you know, sorry, we're all going to die. And... So my answer would be, it's a reminder, prepare, think about it. Also, and I know I know a friend of mine is doing this, she's very, very sick. She, she has decided she doesn't want to, she doesn't, uh, the whole assisted dying bill, she's, she's going to look after things herself, as am I, if things get too much. I've already got that planned. So... 
it's not a matter of being a burden on other people. It's um, doing what you want to do. We're allowed to live the way we want to a certain extent. We need to be allowed to die. And I just think this is such a good reminder. I love that he wrote this. I absolutely love and scatter me equally. You know, the same writer, obviously. Um, they're... they're they're reminders to us to um, just, you know, think ahead, think about these things. And that I'm fascinated at the point that both of you have made about the acceptance in both of those songs of, of death. It's not a resistance to death. There's no point in resisting it. I, I can't think of any um, music examples, but in I see a lot of theatre as a, as a theatre critic and I'm always seeing plays where it's like someone, like the playwright has just got angry that there is cancer. They're angry that there is Alzheimer's. They're angry that there's uh, whatever, as if as as if the universe owes them a favour. Uh, whereas, to my mind, those things are, are inevitabilities and, and are not dramatically interesting. But I think in the case of these two songs, that the acceptance is... is profound on on Colin Moulding's behalf because he's not saying oh I'm really angry about my dad dying or I'm really angry about this or that he's saying well how do you how do you reconcile yourself does it chime with you David from that point of view yes uh, and I would echo Belinda saying that it's right to prepare but the Christian point of view that that I have is that yeah prepare your prepare yourself for well for meeting God there's plenty in the Bible about a, uh, a judgment that you will have to undergo, which is, isn't a nice thought, I, I would agree, but also someone who's willing to take on that judgment for you. That's central to the, to the Christian message, even though I'm maybe not articulating it very well. So, yes, definitely prepare. Uh, I was also going to say, just from the, the musician part of me, can't resist pointing out that dying, which is, like Melinda says, it's, it's just spectacularly beautiful also is one of the few songs that... i never said that oh, oh did you wait what, what did sorry am i putting words into your mouth oh you meant the sorry you meant the song oh the song yes yes i thought you meant oh right, the act of it yes oh the, well no i mean yeah, i don't think we're generally pro quite as pro dying as we are pro universe yeah <laughs> yes sorry no this the song is is just uh, very very beautiful um it's one of the few songs that you'll come across that doesn't go back on itself there's no reversion to a chorus or a another verse it just it says it's one verse one sort of extra bit and it just continues that thought of i don't want to die like you you're expecting another to go round and it doesn't i would just wonder whether that's metaphorical for uh, the dying you don't get another (laughs) you don't get another go unless you believe in reincarnation well yes I wanted to say something about senses working overtime. Oh, do yes, that would be a good one. That would be an, uh, having got <laughs> having ended up in talking about dying and scattering. We could, you know, we, let's have a bit of a living life to the full with senses working overtime. And I think that this kind of calls back to part of the conversation we were having earlier, because there's this line about you know the relation. How do we deal with suffering? The suffering in the world, and there is that line about you know, bus crashes and horrible things, and then being able to be in a relationship with those which can hold them, you know, hold both the suffering in the world and the great joy in the world, which takes a degree of emotional maturity and robustness that, again, needs to be practised, isn't a thing that sort of comes to one without effort. And just, yeah, for senses working over time, it's it speaks to me in terms of this whole business of mindfulness, being, 
you know, you often hear this sort of slightly trite phrase of being in the moment. And being in the moment really boils down to noticing what your sensory experience is at any one point without coming up with a story about it, without sort of, you know, bouncing off it, going up some sort of ladder of inference, just sort of being there with the taste of the lemon and the taste of the lime, you know, being present to your sensory experience. I know that's not really what he's going on about, but I can take that from it. Yeah, no, surely you can. Yeah. Would you like to add to that, David? Or Nothing other than I think it's a, just the most wonderful song, really is. Yeah. Despite it talking about senses, I can also see uh, almost how a video might go for this. Um, it brings me so many images. I've enjoyed hearing what you've said. I think scientifically, because I... I I think scientifically, logically, but also consider myself able to still have the ability to be kind and good as I can for its own sake. I still didn't get the Christian point of view on things. Like when I was explaining about the experiences I've had with um, all of my previous clients and you said in the Christian faith we have to face God well in in the Mormon church they are allowed to get you into their faith post-mortem essentially so if they find out about you then you're in mate as a consequence they've got a ancestry sort of page deal they're a great resource for <laughs> looking up ancestors because we're all in there if they've heard of you or you look. But I do find, I mean, when my dad was dying, he had believed in 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 God. And when I was a very little girl and uh, sick a lot, he, he gave me a cross. And even then I thought, how is, it's medication. Give me the medication. What do I do? Because um, praying to God wasn't working. So I I just didn't understand. And then as he was sort of dying in front of me, I sort of said to him, I said, prove there's life after death. Come and haunt me or move something or let me know you're there. And he said, oh, I don't believe in all that shit. Um, and then he died. <laughs> and I thought, blimey, they, you know, it's a fabulous thing to go out on um so he's got a shock and he if he <laughs> really has got to answer to, <laughs> to a god so i've i've sort of found it useful on a personal level i think it's always good to discuss songs i was it's always good to discuss meanings perceived or real among them it's easy to fall into a trap that I think they call it the intentionalist fallacy, I remember from A-level English, where you think that the author knows, is, is meaning something. You forget that the author may not have. <laughs> um, yeah, and we are, you know, Andy and Colin aren't here to say, actually, no, that wasn't what I meant at all, and pull us up short. But no, I, I always think it's, it's good to look at songs with regard to life and our relationship existent or not with god i think is very much part of life because as a christian i believe in god as the author of life so uh, yes always always useful and in and interesting 
Yeah, and it's and it reminds me that the songs are so full of life as it is lived, for better or worse. Yeah, senses of working overtime being a brilliant com- uh, uh, encapsulation of all of those things. Yeah, it, yeah. It, it, if you look at XTC's catalogue, you you could say, you know, that that whole thing about all human life is in there. Um, you, you, it's it suits XTC most more than most bands, I think. Absolutely agree. Yeah, there's so much in there. It's certainly not a lens I had thought to consciously pay attention to before and so there was some extent I was found to myself sort of thinking oh I hadn't really realized that I thought that about this uh and I'm sitting here slightly regretting that I didn't find a Dukes of Stratosphere track to to drag in because I'd have quite liked that (laughs) um I think the Dukes of Stratosphere are a religion them, in themselves, aren't they? I, I, that's probably it. Yeah, maybe we should we yeah. should create that. <laughs> so that was fascinating, and thank you very very much to David, Belinda, and Ash for their really interesting insights. And as we've been saying, there are other religions are available, and uh, <laughs> if you would like to get in touch because you think that we haven't covered a certain area, this is a topic that obviously has been going on for not just 2,000 years, probably 2 million years, and will continue to be discussed. So do get in touch. Thank you very much for listening. What do you call that noise? Thanks again to Ash, Belinda and David for a fascinating discussion. And thank you once again to all the wonderful podcast supporters on Patreon, who you can join at patreon.com forward slash Mark Fisher. Thanks in particular to the following Nights in Shining Karma. Terry Arnott, John Bicknell, Kevin Burt, Lorenzo Charchi, Cale Corbett, Liam Duggan, Jamie Dunn, Jeff Farris, Leslie Gooch, Robert Graham, Stephen Hope, Alan Hughes, Marek Krauss, Jesper Kumberg, Robert Lawlor, Dennis LeCourier, Liz Lynch, Marie Meikle, Yusuf Murra, Karen Neal, Jeff Nicholson, Amy Parkinson, Doug Perry, Mark Reed, James Reimer, Simon Slatehome, Michael Sutcliffe, Mark Thomas, Nigel Waller, and Martin Whitley. Very wonderful people they are too. Great to know that you like what you've heard. If you'd still like it, come back next month and I'll give you some more XTC fabulousness. See you then. Bye. <laughs>